0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Therapized. My name is Cassie Dennis, and this podcast is about therapy. I get to interview individuals with different identities than my own about their experiences in therapy, and my five-plus, very loyal listeners follow along and hopefully enjoy it. This is part two of our Clinicians of Color series, and this week we get to hear from Natasha. I adore Natasha, and so I hope you guys enjoy hearing from her as much as I always enjoy hearing from her. Welcome, Natasha.
1: Thank you. So nice to be here. I'm
0: so glad to have you. So first, I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions to get to know all the really important stuff about you. Sure. So first, if you were any ice cream flavor, what would you be? Ooh,
1: that's a really tough question. Um, It's not the same as what is your favorite ice cream flavor, obviously. Um, And and that's good because that changes uh, based on (laughs) what's on offer. You know, I guess I would probably go go with something with, like, some nuts in it. Uh, just, like, a bit of crunch, a bit of sass, uh, <laughs> a bit nutty.
0: <laughs> All those things. Maybe a yeah. little rocky, roads rocky road. Rocky road. Yeah. Okay.
1: Definitely a rocky road.
0: Love it. Okay. Yeah. Would you rather explore space or explore the depths of the ocean?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um. I frequently get caught in those YouTube rabbit holes of, you know, 10 creatures you've never seen that live underwater. Um, So I would have to go with exploring underwater because I remember uh, seeing a video that said we have only explored maybe 10% of the world's oceans. So yeah, I think it would be kind of equivalent to, exploring space and you'd have, and more easily accessible, at least in terms of the time it takes to get there. Um, you know, space and everything, you probably spend my entire life just floating around, (laughs) not seeing anything. So
0: yeah. like Oh, look, another star.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, look, another star in the distance, 10,000 light years away.
0: (laughs) Okay. So last but not least, what is your favorite milk substitute?
1: Um, we drink a lot of almond milk in my house. So I would say almond milk is, is pretty big for us. Um, I think I like cooking wise, I use a lot of coconut milk. Um, and so that's really like something
0: I've grown up with too. So i say either one of those. Okay, solid. Yeah. Now that we know the really important stuff.
1: <laughs> you know, everything there is to know about me now. That's
0: right. <laughs> now you get to tell us a little bit about like who you are, what you do. Give us a, give us your elevator pitch, Natasha.
1: Sure. <laughs> um, well, my name is Natasha. Um, I am a clinical psychology doctoral candidate. Um, so that means that I've proposed my dissertation and in, I'm in the process of collecting data. Um, I'm also on internship, um, which is, um, for people who aren't in the know, it's sometimes, uh, the final uh, year of our training, um, where we usually go out somewhere in the community and we work 40 hours a week in a clinic getting hands-on clinical training and, uh, pretty intense process to get there, uh, Kind of similar to what you might do if you were a medical student applying for internship or residency. So, so this is the final step, and uh, I'm currently uh, applying for postdoc positions too. So that's exciting.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's 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 me in a nutshell. Is there anything else? You have uh, two adorable cats. I do have two adorable cats. Yeah, an
0: adorable husband. We'll we'll give him that too.
1: You know, he's our- all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I live in Worcester with uh, my with my husband and our two cats, uh, Greg and Tiny. Uh, Tiny was my husband's before we met. And Greg, we actually adopted from a cat cafe. Oh, how so, cute. I didn't know that. He's a little doofy. He <laughs> definitely um, has his moments of sheer idiocy, but we love him anyway.
0: I love cats. They have so much individual personality. absolutely
1: absolutely yeah and and very interesting for a cat who grew up in a cat cafe very scared of other people um will will run and hide his favorite spot is underneath um the bed on my side um has not been seen in the vicinity of anyone else other than uh me and my husband (laughs) yeah both of our cats are very skeptical tiny's a bit better she's gotten to the point where she'll kind of stick around and slowly amble away and then kind of turn around really quickly
0: and be like, I don't trust you. And (laughs) then keep going on her way. I love it. So when Mm -hmm. and why did you decide to become a psychologist?
1: Oh, it's a really good question.
0: So, uh, I, and, 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 you know, to be clear, I'm
1: South Asian. So, um, growing up, the narrative usually was that you had to become a doctor or an engineer or both. So, and and both my parents were in the healthcare field. So I grew up with that as the mentality um, that I was going to go to med school and be a doctor. And then I got to college and I did pre-med and I realized quickly it was not for me. Um, And I realized that if I could not get through the first two weeks of organic chemistry, I was not going to be able to, uh, to get through medical school. Um, and at the time I happened to be taking an intro to psychology course and, um, and, and just kind of had this aha moment of, wow, here's a thing I could do. And I could, uh, you know, still work with, uh, with people and help people. Cause that was something that was really, really important to me. And uh and that I could use I could use this as a platform for, for doing work that meant a lot to me. Um, so I think that was where I really I, I think was first exposed to psychology as a profession and uh and made that sort of jump from medicine to psychology. And one that I I definitely have valued, having now worked with psychiatrists in multiple settings, I, I feel very firm that I made the right decision in the right
0: place. <laughs> So you you also have a lot of interest in like non-traditional and more holistic mental health care. What kind of sparked those interests for you? Um that's kind of developed over time as I think as the kind of
1: psychologist that I, that I am. I I've always kind of been interested in the challenges associated with being BIPOC be or POC um and and what that means in a more individualistic westernized society, um, although I don't know that I have the language for it for um, for quite some time, uh, but that was always an interest of mine. And I think that the understanding that kind of came hand in hand in that with was that we that psychology as a field is very westernized. Um, it's you look at the theories, you look at, um, you know, the big names in our fields, they're all old dead white guys, um, <laughs> to be frank. And, uh, and, you know, it's built on the backs of Western philosophy and Western theories. Um, and in one of my early graduate school experiences, I had a mentor who turned me on to this wonderful book called Crazy Like Us by Ethan Waters. And it was about how we have in inter- globalized this Western conception of mental health and psychiatry to other countries and cultures without first understanding what the origins are of um of, of you know what are the conceptualizations of mental health in these other places. And so. That I think was the thing that got me think, uh, and I think the example I always point to is uh, there's a chapter in that book about Sri Lanka, which is where my family is from, and uh, the tsunami that happened in winter 2005, and um, how basically after the tsunami there were all these counselors and psychologists and um, mental health workers coming from the U.S. to Sri Lanka, and I said. I bet you guys are so traumatized and we know about PTSD. We know about these evidence-based practices and we are here to deliver them to you. Um, and the people they went out to see, were like, no, nah, we fine. I'm like we're good. <laughs> we're, we're okay. We're just, can you give us some money to rebuild please? And thanks. <laughs> and, um, and that to me, I think that was, that was a signal that, you know, different groups um, and different people experience mental health in different ways and that um and that just and they experience mental health challenges differently that the interventions have to be different and the interventions that have existed for thousands upon thousands of years you know we we should be looking at those because even if we don't have this scientific literature you know backing up the validity of these um, interventions it doesn't mean that they're that they aren't true or they aren't helpful and case in point is um, turmeric I know is being touted as like this wonder spice and you see you know I see so many people drinking with turmeric tea or golden milk and all that I'm like I grew up with that. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I didn't need something in Shama or, um, you know, any other big scholarly journal to tell me that turmeric was good for me. It was just something that I grew up with. So um, I'm very much, uh, I think a proponent of using what is familiar, using what people know um, and that, and that leaning into that um, area of comfort and you know, what we might call non-traditional methods actually can be really beneficial and really helpful in treatment.
0: Sorry, I keep leaning out of the frame. My cat is trying to eat my Christmas decorations. and I'm sure <laughs> that that's not the right thing to be doing. We've been thinking
1: about Christmas decorations as well and how to strategically place them so that, uh, so that cats won't get in the way. And
0: Oh, there she is. Hi, Popcorn! She's like, "Why are you holding me? Let me hold <laughs> she she looks very
1: affronted. Oh, she's so big. <laughs> yeah, we have, my husband's already had like done his holiday shopping. So there's a tower of already wrapped presents in the living room. And surprisingly, neither of them have gone for it. Okay. Tiny, tiny guards it. So like sometimes I'll come home from work and she'll be sitting in front of it and be like, These are my presents. This wrapping paper belongs to me when it comes off these boxes.
0: <laughs> but has not touched it at all. I mean, first I'm impressed that Matthew's done Christmas shopping already. Like, oh, he's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's by far and above. Like he's, he's all out for Christmas. He's, he's very excited. Um, Which is tough because my family and I were not presents people. We like giving, but we don't like receiving. Oh, no. And he's like, I'm getting this and this and this and this. And like, we each have like three presents a piece from him at least and we're, last night I was on the phone with my mother, I'm like, we need to get him more stuff. Where do we get him? We have to, like, make this equal somehow, we have to make this equitable, and we're like.
0: She has, she has retreated for a while. She's gone. Okay, cool. I also wanted to ask, did you have any mentors or professors, especially in undergrad who's like identities masters, or did you see yourself reflected in academia at all?
1: Never, never. Mm-hmm. Um, not until I got to grad school. No. No, it was a very, very white space. Um and I think that I credit my dad a lot with uh, with me getting as far as I have in my education. I'm sure I've talked to you about my dad before now he's basically the best. <laughs> He, yeah, he, came. you know, he is the American dream, right? He came here, um, you know, from his home country and he started at the bottom and worked his his way up and worked full time, went to school full time, still managed to, um, to, to share experiences with me, um you know, for, for people who are from Boston uh, you know, we went to the museum of science and the aquarium and all these places. And he made sure that we went there regularly and that, uh, that, you know, we have this connection, but you know, he was the one who instilled in me this value of education. And so even when I was in undergrad, I don't think I had any specific, I, like I worked with people who were, who were really meaningful in my development, but I think as far as like a mentor someone who looked like me, it had to have been my dad. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just always been that presence, just kind of pushing me and, uh, you know, uh, wanting, wanting me to, to be as successful as I could. And I think, I, I, th- I think at least as far as my undergrad experience goes, he was the one where it, like the question of race never kind of came into, to it for me because, my dad was just like, you have to do this. You have to go push, push yourself and get this done. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, uh, not really an undergrad. In my graduate school experience, I've been fortunate in that I've had um, quite a few advisors who have shared similar identities to me. You have both been South Asian women. Um, and it's been interesting in how different people um, process what it is to be a person of color or a woman of color in our fields. Um, One of my mentors um, fully embraced it and um, had some connections with um, a program back in India um, that we used to go to um, every, I I went to India with her a few times. Um, And then I had another advisor who, um, who was very particular about it and very particular about not wanting to take on South Asian students because of, you know, automatically or give them, give them any extra advantage in the admissions process because she was conscious of what it might look like for a South Asian professor to take on South Asian students. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and in doing that, I realized, you know, just <laughs> how maybe that there was probably an extra hurdle I had to um, jump over in, um, in getting to work with her. Um, because of, you know, what those experiences have been and, and, and how maybe she's been shaped by them and I've been shaped by them,
0: too. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I went to an event a couple of years ago where um, someone was talking about diversity in our field and saying that even though, you know, upwards, more than half of, um, half of the people who seek mental health services are people of color only less than twenty percent of psychologists, like practicing psychologists, are people of color, wow. um, and 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 you see that just kind of across the board. Um, I actually looked this up recently. That I think it's twenty percent of psychologists are people of color. Probably less so among psychiatry, and where you really see greater racial diversity is. In social work and um, counseling programs, where uh, you know the highest credential you seek is a master's degree, Um, but that says a lot too—that there's there's you know some gatekeeping that goes on in doctoral level Mm -hmm.
0: work—and
1: that's that's kind of baked into our system, which is really unfortunate. Definitely, yeah.
0: So, have you experienced any micro or macro aggressions from clients during your clinical work, or from like other providers?
1: oh for sure <laughs> for sure um it, it yeah it it happens without fail um every every place I've been to um whether it's from from patients um or clients um or not necessarily supervisors but um even just kind of people in and um in and about um the organization there's always, there's always stories that come to mind. Um, but, uh, I guess something that's happened more recently is, um, that I have a very ethnically coded last name. It's very clear from looking at my last name that I am a person of color and, and people don't always get that because, you know, my last, my first name is Russian. Um, there's no, no Russian connection whatsoever. I don't, I don't know why my mom picked this name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but, yeah, I had people who looked at my last name, struggled to pronounce it, and then as a joke said, well, your name is too hard to pronounce, you should be fired. And and I didn't think it was that funny. Um, I didn't think it was that funny. And I was uncomfortable and I didn't say anything because these were people I sort of had fleeting interactions with. And, um, and then the following week in a um, similar setting, um, someone read out my name and struggled again with my last name and then looked down and said, oh, well, like your first name is really pretty. You know, the assumption being that my last name was garbage.
0: (laughs) Um, and how hard is it to say, how do you pronounce your name? How do you pronounce
1: it? It's not that, you know, it's not that hard. And Um, And and that, that kind of story has followed me my entire life. You know, this is, um, I I have memories going back to grade school of people struggling to pronounce my last name and then making some kind of remark about it. And so I, I've been, it's been an interesting kind of follow through with the specific situation because I did bring it up to my supervisor um, and said, this makes me really uncomfortable. And this is in a setting that I'm required to be part of at least once a week. And I feel really uncomfortable going back and doing this, even though it's something that I have to do. And I, there's no way around it. I have to be in, um, I have to be in a setting. And, and I really, I, I give, I give the supervisor credit because they've been really actively working with me trying to figure out what is the response and have offered some solutions to me, offered for me to be the advocate for them to advocate something that I still feel a little weird about and not quite sure how to process yet is that the, uh, the setting in which the larger setting, which we're in has a weekly kind of process group where there's uh you know, about 20 minutes devoted for discussion around issues of race and racism and uh and so my supervisor brought up this incident however i was not on site that day so mm. um so it's this weird thing of knowing that they were trying to advocate for me and at the same time doing so in a form in which i wasn't able to share my actual experience and yeah i i, I struggle with you know how much credit do you give for someone trying their best. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, maybe disregarding, uh, you know, some, some pieces of the puzzle as well.
0: The eternal um, in- intent versus impact. impact question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, um, so yeah. I, and I think this has all become more prevalent for me and more, more noticeable, um, especially, you know, a lot of people are pointing now to, um, to the murder of George Floyd as a turning point in values around social justice and, and equity. Um, and for me, it was actually, um, several years ago when Michael Brown was shot mm-hmm. and when Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin and Philando Castile and Eric Garner and countless other names. Um, and, and, and even saying that acknowledging that, um, Kavon Charles was murdered just a few days ago um at the time that we're doing this um the these names have, have stuck with me for such a long time and I think really have um have changed my approach to mm-hmm. this field recognizing the disparities that exist in our field in terms of who gets to be in these programs, you know, these training programs, who gets treatment, what kind of treatment they receive, how concerns get conceptualized based on how you look. Um, And uh, I I think all that to say that, um, that I think our field right now is at this sort of turning point that we probably should have been at years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And we get a lot of people who um, I've seen this happen with a lot of like white clinicians in particular who have these moments of, Oh my gosh, racism exists. That's so awful. I, I I just, I can't believe it. And, and that they, they think they're living in this post-racial society. Um, And, uh, and, and I think, I think all these, you know, the microaggressions, everything, it just gets heightened, you know, since the Black Lives Matter movement started and it's just more prevalent in my mind and trying my best to incorporate it into the philosophy of of the work that I do, whether it's working with clients or advocating as part of a systems piece um, or, uh, you know, in a department or a larger organization, I'm just trying to keep that as
0: part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for talking about that. Of course. Yeah. So um, just to close us out, I'd love to know where do you see yourself in, in 10 years? Do you <laughs> be, how do you want to be practicing?
1: I, I've been having a lot of conversations about this lately. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess we'll go with the answer that uh, my supervisor, a supervisor gave me, um, I see myself doing a lot of the work that, that we've just been talking about, being an advocate for both staff and and clients around issues of equity, inclusion, diversity, anti-racism. And and I, I would hope that I do that, I think, from an administrative position embedded within a clinical department. So having some clinical exposure, I think, is really, really key to that. I think, uh, you know, we're in the same program. We have a diversity equity inclusion office as part of our university. Um, and and I think they do the best with what they're given. And at the same time, it's very different from being embedded in the day-to-day of of classwork and being students, right? And um, and similarly as clinicians, that uh, being part of a diversity um, office um, can remove you from the more immediate picture of care. Um, and I wanna be able to affect patient care as well. So I, th- I think that's where I would see myself is either in an administrative position where I can help promote concerns
0: or working towards the administrative position. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Thank well, you. thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting,
1: and i'm I'm really I'm really glad that you're doing this and that you're sharing voices from all over. I think this is this is part of the work that um, we do in raising awareness about systems and dismantling them. So
0: even if no one else is listening i'm having a great time listening to all of my awesome guests so i am winning i i've
1: been listening i've been listening um i don't know if i'll listen to this because it will be very weird to hear my own voice um but i, th- I think you're doing really great work so oh, yeah of course